This is a Federal News Network podcast. Burn pits. They're the Agent Orange of the most recent generation of veterans. Veterans who were exposed to the open junk incinerators in Iraq and Afghanistan have long complained of resulting health maladies. President Joe Biden mentioned it in his State of the Union speech. Some VA benefits have begun to trickle out. And for an update, the co-founder and special counsel of the National Veterans Legal Services Program, Bart Stitchman. Bart, good to have you back. Thanks, Tom. What is the status of burn pits? I mean, it took decades for Agent Orange to be an assumed problem for those that were near it. And tell us the status of burn pit benefits. Well, it's Congress and the VA and the executive department have moved a little faster than in the Agent Orange sphere. And a bill has passed the House already. Another one is similar, pending in the Senate. And then you have the recent speech by the president that you just referred to, where he is also urging the VA itself to unilaterally add diseases, recognize them as related to exposure to burn pits, and or Congress pass these bills that are pending, send it to my desk. And if any of that happens, a lot of additional diseases are going to be recognized as related to burn pits which means if you apply to the VA for disability benefits for one of the listed diseases and you served in Southwest Asia, then you'll be entitled to disability benefits for those diseases. And does this cover, I guess, as I said in the opening, both Afghanistan and Iraq, they used burn pits? Absolutely. Both those, Djibouti, any area in Southwest Asia. And what are the diseases, and is it possible to distinguish them from similar types of maladies? I guess these are respiratory that might have been from people that maybe smoked 100 cigars a day or something. Well, in the House bill, which has the longest list of diseases to make presumptively service-connected, let me read some of them, a lot of cancers, any respiratory gastrointestinal, reproductive cancer, lymphoma cancer, kidney, brain, melanoma, pancreatic cancer. Those are the cancers. And then there's respiratory diseases like chronic bronchitis, etc. And it's true that smoking can cause some of those cancers, but that's been true for Agent Orange as well. Lung cancer is a disease listed as related to Agent Orange and people who may have smoked, it's difficult to tell what was the causative agent, but the rules of the game are you get VA benefits, the benefit of the doubt for those diseases. And talk about briefly the benefits themselves. Is it simply compensation? Is it considered disability payments? Or what is the program and what are the benefits specifically? Well, let's talk about health care and financial benefits. For healthcare, the bills pending in Congress, regardless of the type of disease you have, it doesn't even have to be a listed disease, extend the five-year period from your service in Southwest Asia to a much longer period of time that you're entitled to free VA healthcare. So that's true of these bills, regardless of the disease you have. If it's one of the listed diseases and you apply to the VA, you'd get financial benefits, service-connected disability compensation, which depends on your degree of disability, how much money it is. But if you're totally disabled due to your cancer or 
or other disease, then you'd be getting close to $38,000 a year in tax-free disability compensation. We're speaking with Bart Stitchman. He's co-founder and special counsel at the National Veterans Legal Services Program. And since this is the Legal Services Program and you have been a friend of the court and several lawsuits have launched lawsuits over the years to get VA to shake loose on a number of issues, are there any lawsuits going on now about burn pits? No, not much in that area. We have a burn pits class assistance program that we opened up last year where we're representing individuals who have claims for some of these diseases on an individual basis. We apply on their behalf. These potential additions of diseases are not currently applicable to their claims. The bills have to be passed. The VA has to change their rules. In the meantime, we're representing them on a case-by-case basis at this point, in which case you have to get medical evidence of a connection between your exposure to burn pits and your current disease. So we have to get a medical expert often paying for them in order to win the claim. And what about the service itself? I mean, you could have been walking by a burn pit once, or you could have been tending a burn pit for a period of a month or something. I mean, there's exposure and there's exposure. Is there any element of degree there that is part of this? No, none of the bills make the distinction you're talking about. Uh, It would be very difficult to figure out person by person what the amount of fumes and smoke that you were exposed to. It'd be an administrative nightmare to do that on a case-by-case basis. And so these bills wisely, I believe, say if you served in the area, that's enough to be presumed exposed. And in the cases for which VA is now paying burn pit benefits, what are their criteria as they stand before these laws are passed? You're right. The VA has, um, last year, added the first diseases, three diseases, sinusitis, rhinitis, and asthma. If you apply and you served in the area, doesn't matter number of days, you win, but they've added another requirement. You had to have suffered from one of those three diseases within 10 years of your discharge. So the philosophy behind that, which I don't personally agree with, is that if it took you more than 10 years to come down with your asthma or other condition, then it's probably not due to the burn pits. So those are the rules currently. It makes you wonder what, if any, is the research and scientific basis for any of this. There's a decent amount of science out there, which is why these bills name all these diseases. And I'll tell you partially why there's science out there. DOD did an analysis, uh, did air samples of the burn pits while they were operating about 10 years ago. And they found all kinds of toxic substances, benzene, dioxin, the contaminant in Agent Orange, and other particulate matter that's toxic. And we know individually what these toxic chemicals cause. And so there's a basis to create a list of what's related. So then at this point, Congress is it, so to speak, in this great game here of getting this whole issue resolved? Yeah, there's really three playing fields or four. The House, the Senate, uh, the VA has the right, and they've already exercised it, to add a rule making it easier for veterans to win their 
burn pit related cases by saying this disease is connected uh, and uh, the president can so-called order the VA to do it as well. And to be clear, the House has passed that bill. So really, it's the Senate at this point. Yes, the House has passed the bill. The Senate has a pending bill that's very closely related to the House bill. So if the Senate passed its own bill and it's slightly different, they'd have to be a conference. Uh, But it should be an easy conference since they're very similar. Bart Stitchman is co-founder and special counsel of the National Veterans Legal Services Program. As always, thanks so much. You're welcome, Tom. Good to be back with you. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Sign up for the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity, and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader? And what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, the first person personally was my mom. Uh, she was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was the leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, she was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, We were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing, we were in regular housing, the people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while although we were the little guy. Uh, and then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks. Um, as part of her job, she worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then cleaned houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, so that was probably the, the first leader. And then I would say the second leader that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal, Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and obviously seeking a job, she always managed to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right, to try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also 
reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? Hmm. I would describe it hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated, uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit, and then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best, and so we now have people who work for me all over the world, and as long as we meet our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five, and that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office uh, and it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on what does it look like? Because I think a successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the, the probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling, not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly Black women and certainly gay Black women. Uh, you know, there are not a lot of us. Um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka, so I'm fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so Black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a Black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a single effect of what other people are going to expect as black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the, expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience, and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, 
let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and oftentimes based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the the art of of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And, And I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my mind, to convince people, but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves. I, I saw you on a post uh, with a Washington Post um, uh, interview, and it, it, you were amazing. And it, it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said, because I could see all of that reflected in how you responded there. And um, make one other quick uh, comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, Confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.